0: Oh my goodness, it's rolled around again and not only that... The first Wednesday of the month Daniel Carrington, lovely to see you as always Thank you
1: very much, I'm glad to be back
0: Now we're looking at a little bit of natural health for our pets mm. And our dogs in particular You did it last time you were here And we're looking at almost rehabilitation and acupuncture for the pooches, For dogs,
1: yeah, I just want to continue that natural therapy stories And uh, have we ever thought about that? You could actually do acupuncture on your doggy Get a specialist to do that So yeah, we'll talk about that oh,
0: And Dr Paul McCarthy, lovely to see you as well Thank you Sarah 10 out of 10 for your shirt today.
2: Thank you. Oh, Thank if anyone's
0: um at home, you've got to have a look through our can, go to our website. <laughs> They're lobsters. Lobsters on your today. Sh- That's Super it. cool. Super cool. Now, of course, Paul, you're here to answer any questions and we may look at a topic as well if there's time today. Absolutely. Well, hello. I just got a bit excited there, sorry, because um, we've had our first call come through, which is fantastic. Uh, Mark in Rutherford has a 13-month-old staffie who's eating its own tail. This can't be good, Mark.
1: No, it's not. No,
3: it's not. It started probably about five, six weeks ago and he nipped a little bit off it and that had become a bit of a game for a little while but now it's got to the point where he's eaten it down to it's probably about an inch and a half long.
2: Yeah. So what often happens, sadly, Mark, is that injuries to tails cause a a nerve tingling, like a a pins and needles type event. Um, And disappointingly, because that nerve tingle stimulates that licking and chewing behaviour, the self-trauma associated with tail injuries can be quite severe. Um, what generally we need to do, said in those scenarios is actually amputate part of the tail to go back to a healthy area and then okay. limit access to the tail base by having either a Elizabethan a collar or an inflatable ring around the head to break that chewing cycle.
3: Yes, all right. No, we tried, tried to, to cane on him, um, we tried all sorts of antiseptics and so forth, but. Um yeah. To beat
2: it. Yes. yeah, disappointingly, you, you, you sadly often need amputation as a, as a um, risk management solution in these cases. And it's not an uncommon scenario in Staffordshire Bull terriers, interestingly. So um, have a chat to your local vet because it, it is probably a, an important thing to get on top of fairly quickly um, because yeah. the trauma will continue.
1: Now, Denny, I'll let you introduce our next guest. Continuing on our natural therapies route, we're going to be talking to Tim Norris, who's a certified rehabilitation practitioner and acupuncturist for our doggies, and he specializes in senior dog and arthritis care, and he's been doing this for over 15 years now. So welcome to the show, Tim.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, nice to be here.
1: So look, why did you start working with dogs? What's your background?
3: okay well look, i've spent about 15 years working with people and um but i've always had a passion to work with dogs you know and what i noticed was that dogs suffer with many of the same issues that people have uh yeah you know, i know it sounds a bit funny but dogs get sore backs hits arthritis movement problems but the difference is they actually can't help themselves in that respect so i thought when someone needed to step up to help them so that that was my real calling was to be able to do the things for dogs they can't do for themselves, but really importantly, to show their owners the different things that they can do to help their dogs even more because um, they rely on us for all of their needs, if that makes any sense.
1: It's true. It, it is hardness. You know, with humans, we can communicate each other if we're a bit sore or mm. in pain. Yeah. Our dogs can't. So what sort of issues can acupuncture help with uh, or in dogs?
3: Yeah, look, again, it's very much like people again without wanting to repeat myself too much, you know acupuncture has been around for a very long time now and people tend to use a lot for all sorts of things from you know back pain sore shoulders neck arthritis hip problems and it's very much the same with dogs too and i think a lot of people don't realize that as their dog gets older they think it's part of that you know yes aging is part of that natural process but there's always things that you can do you don't have to just think oh my dog's a bit stiff and sore they're just getting older there's nothing i can do and that's sort why of things like acupuncture and even things like massage and things you can learn yourself can make such a difference to improve the quality of your
1: life. So I think this is, is, is really good information because as you say, like when we feel like that we're aging and our hips are sore, we're not walking mm. properly, um, carrying extra weight and all this kind of stuff, mm. the dogs are going through the same thing. So oh, as owners, what, what tips can you give us to help our dogs?
3: Yeah, look, some really basic things is if you've got a wheat pack or a heat pack, something like that, that you can warm up and just obviously place it gently on some of their joints or muscles where they're a little bit stiff and sore can give a lot of relief. And the same way that people, you know, come up and say, look, I've got a bit of a sore lower back. I've got a heat pack on that at night. It feels better. Learning some massaging techniques can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And just some, just some food things, you know, like a bit of um, oily fish because the omega-3s and the oils can be great for uh, reducing inflammation and even a bone broth. Going into the colder months now, bone broth can be fantastic for supporting their joints and helping them reduce inflammation. So.
1: Wow, and that's such a big thing these days. I think um, with human health and our domesticated pet health, inflammation of our bodies, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, and, and there's always things you can do. I mean, I see you know dogs coming towards the end of their life cycle, really older dogs, and you can always do something to improve their quality of life and give them more precious time with you know together, because that's what we all want. We all want our dogs to live forever. I think.
1: Yeah, that's true
0: I think that was one thing that came out of COVID Is that we started paying more attention to our pets Or we had more time at home to actually pay attention And it's a good point, Denny They can't say, I'm sore Mm. Like, we need to be in tune We need to be watching them Mm. And watch how they're walking And how they're sitting And, you know, trying to help
1: them Mm. Lots of people sometimes notice it When their dog's laying in bed and it's wintertime And then they're trying to get off that mat Oh, they look a bit sore getting off that mat Sometimes that's a bit late And acupuncture Can help all these things, Tim, can't it?
3: Oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, like as you exactly said, you've only got to go to the local dog park and watch how some of the dogs are moving to realise that they are a bit stiff and sore. If you know what you're looking for, and Mm. and there is always something you could do that can, you know, complement what you're doing with your vet too. Because obviously, you know, they do a lot of great work with this too. But what we're looking at is just giving them different options that can help to complement all of that, and you know, give them the best quality of life possible.
0: Do the dogs tolerate the acupuncture well? Like, are they calm during it, or does some you know, yeah. find it hard to yeah. see. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's a great question. Look, a lot of dogs, particularly the older dogs, they settle down very quickly. Once I think they sense that you're there to help them, then that makes a big difference. They tend to relax. You get one or two that are a little bit lively, and that's where you might use different approaches. Um, but all, most dogs are very, very good back at acute They find it very calming and, and obviously beneficial, yeah.
1: Tim, thank you for your time. And I think it's great to be able to communicate this to all our listeners who've got pets, that there are things out there they can do for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's natural remedies. Yeah. Old-fashioned medicines as well. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, if it came down to that, my Nen's got it sorted. Vicks on everything.
1: That's all you need.
0: (laughs) got Dr Paul McCarthy here ready to take your calls 49216216 a free line right now get in early because we do get busy by the end of the show and what are we going to chat about a little later on Paul All
2: right so I spent my morning doing some um, human health psychology research so we're going to talk about obesity in our domestic pets
0: Oh, okay. Um, Mm. (laughs) A lot of pets are probably suffering like us humans after COVID.
2: COVID Uh, has affected them as well. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a sadly bit of a pandemic now.
0: Tell me about it. Mm. It's very hard. Okay, that's a great topic. If you're at work now and you can't get to the phones, you can always send us an email, which a lot of people do. It's great to see it, 2nurfm.com.au and click on Pet Chat. We've had one from Susan uh, from Merriweather. Now, Dr. Paul, she wants to know uh, what you think could have happened to her dog. She said it was like a seizure. Um, Her dog has fallen over and sort of swish the legs around, almost like a paddling action. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't last very long, but her dog was a little bit confused afterwards. It's a a Maltese Shih
2: Tzu. So I certainly think Sue probably has... Witness a seizure in that they that's a fairly classic representation for what we call a what we use to call a grand mal or a generalized seizure, which is where there's a lack of consciousness, um, there's often locomotor functions, so they'll often paddle, they may urinate or defecate during this period as well. Um, sometimes there's um, a, a turning back of the head and a rolling of the eyes, so clients will sort of note that their eyes seem to be flickering.
0: Okay, um,
2: seizures generally actually only last very few minutes. I mean, it tops often. So people who are often thinking that their seizures have lasted for a minute or more generally are overestimating it because it's quite scary to watch a seizure. Of course. They're they're, they're quite challenging, but they're generally very short-lived. But it's a very good observation of Sue is that that period of time after the seizure, what we call the post-ictal phase, um, can last some hours, and that's that's a, a confusion or a, um, the dog seems a bit dazed or lost. A bit um, lost disorientation. Disorientation, yeah, and, that, and that's often the longest part of this sort of three phases of a seizure. There's often a, a preictal phase where the client might see that the dog or cats seek somewhere weird. They might stand in the corner of a room or they might hide somewhere. Um, and when we talk to humans who've had epileptic seizures or seizures generally, um, they talk about this feeling of impending doom coming. So there's this sort of pre-ictal anxious phase. Then the actual seizure hits, which is what, what you, what you described so beautifully. Um, and then there's that disorientation afterwards. So certainly I do think she's correct. I think her dog has had a seizure. Now, her breed type, being a small to medium-sized dog, and particularly if anything with Maltese in them, um, commonly these can be related to either um, liver dysfunction or even intracranial diseases, So, such as, um, sadly, brain tumours and things. So this is one of those ones that really does require investigation. Um All animals, including humans, can have a one-off seizure for no known reason, Mm -hmm. and it never occurs again. Okay. So quite commonly what a vet will do in the investigation process for this is run some bloods first. Is there a metabolic reason for seizures? So you can have a seizure if you become too low in blood glucose. Okay. So often very newborn puppies or puppies who just come to a home, um, if they haven't had enough nutrition correctly, they can get seizures related to having low blood glucose. Right. Um, And so particularly often if you're traveling with a puppy that may have come from a breeder and you're traveling quite a long distance, always make sure there's food available during that transport. Because quite commonly, a long gap between meals can be enough to drop the blood glucose in those sure. puppies. Um, there can be other causes, such as we mentioned liver and kidney disease. It can also cause seizures. So metabolically, there are ways that you treat those differently to if, for example, it's epilepsy or if, for example, it's a brain lesion.
0: So, Paul, if you've got a dog that hasn't uh, had seizures its whole life and then as it gets older it's, you've noticed that it's had a seizure or mm. then maybe more than one, it, do we put that down to old age or we come back to going, look, there could be a, a tumour, we need to go get That's it. So, to this. so
2: age in itself shouldn't cause a seizure. So any seizure should initially be investigated to make sure there's not an underlying disease. Right. Now, if you get a seizure often before the age of five as a dog, the most common certainly is that you've inherited epilepsy. Okay. Okay. And so young dogs or young to middle-aged dogs who develop seizures, and those seizures often increase in frequency. So you'll have a seizure that will, um, it may have occurred last year, and then you might have one... In six months' time, or, or the the frequency often increases. Um, now, generally for epilepsy, unless the frequency is, is well in our practice, generally sort of more than once a month, we often don't medicate those guys, okay? Because the trade off from the medication versus the benefit of a drug is that you are working the liver pretty hard and, and what have right. you for what's a fairly minimal impact on the dog's life because the seizures are so infrequent. Now that changes completely if you have what's called a cluster seizure which is where more than one seizure occurs. quite quickly followed by another one or another one. Sure. Okay. And so those ones are important to be seen immediately um, in that cluster seizures can continue into what's called status epilepticus where the brain doesn't come out of the seizure. It just rolls in and out ah, of these activities. Okay. And that's an emergency scenario.
0: So Paul, what would you say to someone whose dog has had um, a seizure mm. and then has gone months and months but then had another one? By the time yeah. they get the second is that when you then Absolutely. And I
2: think in those circumstances, again, the discussion will be had with the vet, whether there's any underlying predisposition. So is it a breed type that's more prone to different seizure disorders? Um, or is it the fact that this is is this epilepsy kicking in? Um, and then they may or may not start medication dependent upon the severity, the number of seizures, and also the client's constraints in that sometimes medications can be tricky. Um, and so it, it's a discussion to always have. The, the seizures that occur in older dogs are often a different kettle of fish. So ah. so we don't often see epilepsy starting as an older dog disease. Yep. We we sadly see that more commonly associated with either degenerative brain diseases or with tumours in the brain. Okay. And and unfortunately, tumours in, in brains are not as uncommon as we think they are.
0: Yeah, okay. And do we just say uh, it is a tumour in the brain on an mm. older dog? Is there medication for that or, you know, do... Is there treatment for
2: it? Yeah. So certainly often uh, an MRI or a CT will be used to diagnose that or it'll often be made as a diagnosis of exclusion. We've ruled out everything else it could be and therefore it leaves us with cancer. Now, um, not all of those cancers are malignant. In fact, a lot of those are actually benign and so surgical removal of those can actually solve your problem. Okay. Um, Disappointingly, though, the, the requirement to have that done is fairly intensive. Um, specialist surgery, which requires obviously a trans- transport to a, a specialist in Sydney to do so. Okay. So often what we do is we palliate those guys by using medication to try and reduce the frequency of the seizures and reduce the severity of those seizures. Okay.
0: Well, there you go, So Lots of options yeah, there. Yeah, lots of options. Um, but
2: certainly talk to your local vet. There, there are some things that they could easily rule out, hopefully, and it may be a completely manageable disorder.
0: Okay. Uh, now, we were talking off air, Paul, that uh, since COVID, and you know, there's a lot of us. In this boat, we've put on a little bit of a mm-hmm. little bit of weight. Yes. Um. And you told me a statistic for for Australians at the moment. Yeah.
2: So sadly, two thirds of Australians are overweight. Oh, yeah. It's hard. And what that has now translated to. Is that half of Australia's dogs are overweight? Because there's a correlation. Third of our cats,
0: right? So if the owners are overweight, is there an increased chance that your pets are going to be overweight? There, there is
2: a there is anecdotal evidence to say that the larger the owner, the larger the pet. Correct, yeah, right? Um, but there's lots of factors that have changed that. So during COVID lockdown, prevented lots of people from. Leaving their local areas. Yes. So dogs who would often go to the beach for their exercise or have those long runs weren't able to do so. Um, the second thing that's happened also is that there's uh, a tendency, particularly in suburban lifestyles, is that we work longer hours and therefore we don't have that amount of time to even play with our dogs. Um, and then the third thing often is, is that um, dogs like us and cats like us enjoy food. Yep. And so if there's more food available than they need they'll certainly ingest that. And and obesity is now running at a bit of an epidemic rate in Australia.
0: So, Paul, if we're sort of thinking, yeah, our our dog's overweight or our cat's overweight, in fact, before we even get to that,
2: Mm.
0: how do we know? Is it like, are you meant to be able to feel their ribs quite easily? Yeah, so this is a really
2: common question we get. And often clients are confused by that. So we often grade what's called a body condition score. And what you're looking for, and this is a little different for each different breed, okay so in some breeds you, you should, in, in the sighthounds, for example, so the Afghans, the greyhounds, those sorts the of the Salukis, the whippets, that's right um they should have a, a very deep chest um, and and there's a um the the last rib should would generally be visible in those dogs quite quite readily, and what you're looking for for most breeds of dogs is if you can run your fingers down from the ribs towards the hips. If it's a straight line running down there, then generally that's just the apaxial muscles and your dog is correctly weighted. Okay. If it bulges out from the ribs and comes in at the hips, that's fat.
0: Right. Okay, you can't put
2: any more muscle in that space. So anything that bulges out from there, those um, what we would refer to as love handles, um, that's, that's an overweight dog. The second thing also is that if you run your hand under the sternum, so the base of the chest, if you can not feel the sternal bone but in fact feel a bit of a pad there... That's external fat as well So there are ways that you can tell And different breeds will show their weight differently So Labradors carry their weight a little bit differently To say Poodles
0: Okay, well look we now know how to identify If our pet's overweight And I mean of course you know your pet as well So if it looks like it's packed on a little Then
2: you're probably correct
0: We are talking about obesity uh, Which we're going to come back to And chat, chat about in a little bit more detail In just a minute But I thought before that we should do our dog of the week Now we haven't done a dog of of the week for a while. No, it
2: has been ages.
0: So let me introduce to you, oh, what a great hey. name, Max. Max. Oh, please uh, consider Max as a dog that you may want to adopt. You can actually check out Max at our 2 Website and click on pet chat. Now, oh, that's a happy, you know, there's something about doggies just with their tongues out mm-hmm. looking straight at the camera that just, you know, I'm a bit happy.
2: Yeah, yeah, he oh, looks a very happy dog. Although
0: he's got his ears up, so I don't know, as a vet, you no, know, he's is, that, is he's, that good?
2: He's a Kelpie, so he's, he's always going to be watching and listening to see what's happening next. Okay. They're, they're busy, busy.
0: So Max is a Kelpie um, and he's a strikingly handsome boy. Yes, he is. Uh, he's one and a half years old and he's in search of his perfect home, one that's familiar, experienced and willing to take on all that comes with a working breed because if you're going to get a working breed, you've got to really commit, don't you, Absolutely.
2: So these are guys who are watching body language. They need entertainment. They need problem-solving. They're incredibly bright and they give a lot of love, That they just need to have that brain always turned on and doing something. Otherwise, um, watch out for your furniture and your backyard.
0: Did you write this uh, piece on No, I
2: didn't. Is that what I mentioned? <laughs> he's, a, he's a clever boy, quick
0: at learning and eager to please.
2: Excellent.
0: <laughs> but he still needs guidance and reassurance. He has a fair amount of energy, uh, so regular exercise, playtime and mental stimulation. So everything you just said, they're smart, they're intelligent, they uh, want to be loved, they want to make you happy a typical working breed dog rescue Newcastle uh, did bust him out oh they so they've taken him from a pound to give him a second chance at life so he was pretty scared and timid uh, but he's really starting to come along and trust humans and he really is just looking for that home he likes other dogs and he's currently living with an older male dog who he adores so that's good it's like, a good
2: positive sign that's absolutely very
0: positive he walks well on a lead um, he's been learning proper leash manners and he's full of character he's a joyful to be with and to watch so if you are interested then please uh, get on our website to learn more information about Max and that's 2nurfm.com.au and we always love to hear uh, if you end up adopting Max because we often get calls the next week and say oh thanks for you oh, know, sharing that on Pet Chat because I ended up you know, looking into the dogs. Oh, that's really
2: good. One of my nurses, Chloe, has a Kelpie, so I'd be in in very big trouble if I didn't give a a high rap for Kelpies.
0: Oh, there you go. He's a good one. Now, we're talking about obesity in Mm. our dogs. And uh, before the break, we were talking about how you can identify if your pet is overweight. Yep. Once we've made that diagnosis and we've gone, okay, there's a little bit too much uh, fat on my animal, what do we do? Like, is it cruel to just go, right, that's it? bickies and 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 no more or is there steps to take to to start getting that weight off gradually yeah
2: okay so so often the very first comment I have from a client when I mention their dogs may, may be overweight is that I exercise them all the time and the same answer as you and I were discussing beforehand you could exercise all day for hours and hours but if more goes into your mouth then you can burn up you store the body fat.
0: And I've been trying, trust me. But you
1: cannot <laughs> outrun a bad diet.
2: No, and you're 100% correct, Sarah. So number one really is that, um, and these are very simple steps you could do. The first step is to just decrease your portion sizes. Yep. The same rules that we've applied to ourselves, you can apply to your pets. Now, um, we certainly recommend, as in people, you don't crash diet. Because as we all know, crash dieting puts a lot of stress on your liver, a lot of stress on your other organs, and, and is uncomfortable to do and stressful for the dog. So make these very small um, decreases in, in volume over a period of time. Because what you're trying to do really is make the overall equation less.
0: Paul, can dogs and cats get hangry?
2: They can. Like humans? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's why this needs to be a very sort of slowed process um, in that we don't want dogs to then be sort of continually begging, jumping up at tables. Mm -hmm. Um, Dogs who uh, often have too sudden a diet change raid garbage bins. They do all sorts of things to try and meet that need. So it takes a while to get these guys down to a weight. So do this slowly. Okay. Now, that can be helped by using diets that are designed to help with that. Okay. So they're they're diets that make your pet feel full, but actually metabolically they're not converting that into excess body fat. They're they're actually utilizing their reserves. Because there's a difference in, people often go, oh, I do feed a light diet. Now, a light diet is often really good once you've reached the diet uh, sorry, the weight the you need weight. to be. Okay. Yeah. So, so light diets are often formulated really to keep you at where you should be. But often you've got to use portion size and a reduced um, calorie diet to get that initial weight achieved. Okay. And then you use those diets to keep you there. There are some breeds who are going to want to continue to eat more. And so looking at those... Like retrie- your Labrador. Like you know, they love family, it, yeah. absolutely. So um, they're the guys who um, portion size is really important and looking at ways that you can then distract them from meals as their, as their focus in life. So um, what I often say is for clients often is that if you've got a dog that, that really likes its food, give the food over several meals rather than one large meal that often if you feed more frequently the actual input you need to keep the engine running is less than if you feed once a day. Okay. So often people just say, oh, I'll reduce dinner. But what you may be better to do is actually not only reduce your portion, but split that to an AM and a PM feeding and shortening what we call that famine and feast cycle.
0: Okay. So, Paul, uh, for anyone at home listening, thinking, yeah, okay, I've got a pet that's overweight. Realistically, they could have success with their pet by doing nothing else other than just slightly reducing what they're currently giving them. They could give them the same food but less and they will get results. Yeah,
1: this
2: isn't this isn't really bad rocket science. There's no, you know, medications you need to have to help with obesity. Um, this is really about the fact that they can't provide their own food. We we do that all for them. So we can choose correct foods. We can decrease portion sizes, and we can increase exercise. Yeah, I'm I'm conscious that exercise being the first thing to do for an overweight dog can actually create more problems than it's worth.
0: Because it'll put a lot of strain on their joints, I guess, if they're carrying extra weight. Correct.
2: So we see... Um, joint injuries much greater to it in those sorts of dogs. Heat exhaustion because remember fat acts as an insulator. Right. So if you suddenly decide to take your fat dog for a run, then what will happen is that that dog will overheat and then you can have heat exhaustion as a secondary complication. Okay. So be 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 wise about how you would do it. And I often think the simplest is just think of a dog as you. Yep. So if you were suddenly deciding that you were after carrying maybe 20 kilos more than you should, but you'll do a 10K run, that probably isn't appropriate.
0: I'll die. That's right. Yeah. And, and,
2: and that's the same for your pets too. So don't okay. try and run this fat off as you go to. Try and decrease their portion sizes before you look at exercise as your, as your maintenance.
0: And good advice that's slow and steady. Because I think you know we, it's, it's human to go, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing it now. And we get excited and we yep. go, right, I'm cutting everything, whether it's for ourselves, for our pets. But as you said, I mean, it's just putting extra stress on the body and it won't work long term. You've got to go slow and steady and just chip away at it every day.
2: Every day. That's right. And people are they have to cut their treats out. You don't have to cut the treats out, but treats can be part of the overall equation. So you you give your treats, you just decrease dinner.
0: Yeah, really good advice. It just sounds so easy. It should be. So hard though. But it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. Well, Paul, so lovely to have you in for Pet Chat as always.
2: Thank you very much.